one of my early experiences with like uh, seeing Adult Swim stuff was on tour with a band and we uh, played a town that one of our old friends from Northern Virginia lived and we were staying with and you know we just ended up getting drunk and high all night <laughs> and then at some point he put on Aqua Teen Hunger Force my name is and yeah. we, we watched uh, some episodes of that and I pretty much did not remember anything about it the next day and it was like months <laughs> later I was on the, the street in, in New York and then I saw like a bus pull by with a big like Aqua Teen Hunger Force ad on it and I saw the characters in this weird like flash of like hangover feeling of like I was like I have seen this <laughs> <laughs> like a fever dream come back yeah, to haunt you <laughs> Perfect. Done stuff like this. Okay. Welcome to Pem Pem Pals Footy Goody uh, Episode Four. Uh, full swing. I'm one of your hosts, Alex, and with me, as always, are uh, I'm uh, I'm Brian and I'm Ben, and we always step on each other. <laughs> Got to figure that one out. <laughs> and uh, this week, we're excited to be back with you, but we're also excited to have a new guest, though a longtime friend of Brian's, uh, Mr. Robert. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. We're happy you could make it, carve out a little time. <laughs> Before we watch the show and then discuss it, uh, I was wondering what history, if any, do you have with anime? Do you have any formative stuff? Have you experienced FLCL before? Or I have not. I'm not well-versed in anime. I mean, I've seen Akira. But I think that that's kind of like, have you heard rock and roll? Like, I heard the Beatles once, you know? Like, <laughs> they seem cool, you know? Um, but I I have seen that a few times. I, and I do remember around the same time I saw Twilight of the Cockroaches, which I have no idea if that's like a uh, well-known uh, anime or not. It's kind of Roger Rabbit style. It's like animation over footage and it's like this yeah. bachelor uh, who has a disgusting house and he's really depressed and all these cockroaches are thriving there and they're, they're just like this community of partying lazy cockroaches and uh, and then he starts dating the neighbor who uh, like she fights the cockroaches you know like with bug spray and so they're like this warrior tribe and then she moves into his house and so she starts murdering all the uh the lazy cockroaches that's a piece of gen x history right there yeah it really is <laughs> okay so mtv once produced a movie called joe's apartment oh, which right. to a t sounds like an adaptation of what you're talking right. about yeah, this was definitely before joe's apartment yeah that must be the inspiration yeah. wow i think i saw, saw it at the biograph in dc if that if <gasps> oh man but other than that i worked at a comic book shop for a while at big planet comics and so i'm a bit familiar oh whoa that's still language. standing you know yeah the vienna one <laughs> the dc one at least oh yeah i think the vienna one is still there in bethesda cool. And uh, I know you work. You worked in uh, uh, television for a while, right? You did mm -hmm. like documentaries, and then uh, did you have a brief uh, career at Adult Swim? Um, yeah, I I was a freelancer that came in and worked at Adult Swim Digital. Mm -hmm. So I, I didn't do on-air things. If you you're versed in the history of the Onion, but there was sort of a um, when they moved the office from New York to Chicago initially, mm -hmm. a lot of the staff left. And 
they got a contract with Adult Swim to make a website called ThingX, just kind of making video content and writing things. And then that kind of got rebranded as the digital arm of Adult Swim. So that's what I worked for. So I was in New York, not Atlanta or LA. Oh, cool. But yeah, so I did some digital stuff for them. Is this here you worked at uh, or work at Comedy Central? Is that still true? That is still true. That is oh, that cool. is my my day job. <laughs> what do you do there exactly? Similar to Adult Swim, I, I'm on the digital end of things. So I, I'm an editor and I, I edit like some original pieces. Some things are like what's called shoulder content, which is digital material that supports like a an existing show. Like we might have, say, a stand-up special coming out and then they might do like to promote it, like a comedy sketch. And like, we'll cut that. So it, it's related to a show, but not necessarily on-air content, but it's more short form. So like webisodes that would go along with uh, a more mainstay thing. Yeah, and, and, some, and some things are just strictly digital series. Okay. But, uh, and and since it's owned by Viacom CBS, which owns other networks, we the editors get loaned out to other networks. So I I do from time to time work for like MTV and Nickelodeon and whoever needs oh, someone. Oh. Well, you are the most industry professional guest we've ever had. So <laughs> thank you for being here. Well, Robert also has something in common with uh, one of the main characters of the show. In addition to the many instruments you play, you also play bass. Uh, yeah, uh, Haruko plays a Rickenbacker 4003, or is it a one? So would it be a uh, indictment or a compliment if I compared your style to uh, outsider music, which I just learned about <laughs> recently? <laughs> like um, specific, I remember you're the one who introduced me to Daniel Johnson. I don't know if you remember that. I don't remember that since I've never actually been a Daniel Johnson fan, but I do remember. <laughs> um, I mean, not not that not that I dislike him. Harsh indictment. <laughs> But I do remember when we lived together, Ryan Shepard, our mutual friend, making a mixtape that had several Daniel Johnston songs on. So I'm sure I was playing that tape. Well, maybe I was pulling on a, an irrelevant thread, but I did think about your own particular style and um, uh, I can't place it in a box. So maybe that's <laughs> where I was going. Oh, good. Yeah, I, I do take that as a compliment. So. <laughs> uh, should we watch and then discuss? Sure. So the grandpa's got a, the hiragana symbol for fire on his hat. So maybe this is a question to help inform Robert. Like, is he all messed up because of the fight that happened last episode? Was that with the bandage and the nose plug? Oh no, he just gets hit by a fast. That was a flashback. Okay, I'm sorry. So Haruko is the one who messed him up. And it's specifically the nose plug, right? Oh, right, right, right. Old anime trope. For what? Sexual arousal oh, okay. turned on. I still don't know the origin of that. Bomb neutralized. Satellite en route to galaxies unknown. Rat. Eyebrows. Yeah, in the subtitled version, the last word was eyebrows. Oh, really? Yeah. They omit it? Oh. Yeah. Oh, well. It's a great repeated line. It's too much for dubbed audiences. Now, in the uh, in the grand scheme of anime, is this like a weirder one? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. That, <laughs> that was my guess, but very yeah. weird. But 
I maybe this is just my own experience with it, but I feel like it's also a pinnacle work. Like a lot of it's very popular. A lot okay. of people have seen FLCL probably because it was from the same studio as uh, Neon Genesis, which okay. is super, super popular in Japan. And then when it was ported over to America, I want to say it was ported through Adult Swim initially, uh, but I, I could be wrong on that. That uh, You are correct according to the Wikipedia. Oh, cool. <laughs> So, so it wasn't Toonami, it was Adult Swim. I guess that makes more sense. It's like one of those like 1 a.m. anime. Yeah, exactly. I'm still amazed that something like Adult Swim even existed. But what a perfect name because like cartoons are the domain of yeah. children, right? right? But Adult Swim is when <laughs> adults get to enjoy them yeah. too, you know? <laughs> this is their time. Yeah, I think Alex and I were both big Space Ghost fans. Mm-hmm. I think I still remember, or in my head, it's when Adult Swim started. I don't know if that would actually check out, but they had these like ad bumpers that were literally like a swimming pool and like yeah. old ladies doing like water aerobics. Yeah, yeah it was very literal. And Space Ghost is even, uh, that's like a transitional show. Like that predates Adult Swim. That's a bit like this show. Uh, maybe a little more nuanced and focused but no less absurd i definitely got a little bit of house or house vibes house from this. Is that with the orange cat the like horror comedy yeah i highly recommend it although it is one of the most bizarre things you'll ever see it's a japanese movie from the 70s it's been on my list for a long time the director would ask his daughter at the time to make up stories for him and he would she would make up these like you know, she was a child and make up these absurd stories. And then he created this movie out of it. And so it makes no sense at all. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, there's a more recent series in America. I mean, not that reason called Axe Cop, which is the same way. It's like the ideas of a six-year-old materialized through uh, a, a director's brain. Axe Cop is amazing. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. So... We start out with uh, Haruko freelancing as a ringer for a local baseball team. Like, talk about a cold open. Like, I don't know that I've ever seen a show that starts on a more action-packed and disorienting shot. Just like her manic, crazy, yellow-eyed face hitting this home run into space. Which, as we find out later, that initial uh, hit that flies out into space, that's what hits the satellite and causes Uh, it to fall. uh, So like uh, the first shot of the show is the inciting incident for the action of the show, which is very rare. (laughs) I miss so many things. I'm going to go to mile a minute there. I didn't even realize that Space Ghost Coast to Coast was based on uh, Art Bell's. East of the Rockies or on the air hunt? Coast to coast. What? (laughs) It's the most obvious thing in the world, right? (laughs) That's awesome. But thank you for connecting those dots. So so she's playing against, she's playing as a ringer for another town's team. And they're playing against Nauta's team. It's not really his team. It's his grandfather's team, right? The Mabase Martians, who are supposed to explode with the eruptions of Olympus. The most sexual team slogan I've ever heard of. Yeah. And, And Nauta's on the team just as a, like, it's, I just love the parallelism to it because... Nauta is a permanent member of that team. Like, I assume he he shows up or his grandfather makes him show up for every game. Oh, and he does not want to swing the bat. 
he does not want to participate at all. Whereas Haruko is a guest on the other team. This may be the only game she ever plays for them. And yet she is all the action on that team. Yeah, so she's like the Tosuke-chan, the older brother who left on a baseball scholarship. Probably why that home team had any cred to begin with. The only reason why Naoto is being forced on the team but the, the, the person who had his prowess is now their opponent. Uh, mm-hmm. But what I just thought was interesting was, and maybe I'm reading just too much into this, but Naota's only recognized value by his grandfather and this team is that he's Tasuku-chan's little brother. Like he doesn't have his own identity. He doesn't have his own value. So it's a pretty miserable situation. Yeah. And I, and I guess, you know, there's this kind of implied potential that, you know, if he lives up to, you know, what his brother did, he could also be a star. But then that kind of pressure that that comes with that. Um, and, and it seems like he's, he's just like not interested at all. Right. And so yeah. whether that's kind of his fear of failure and the way he's protecting himself or that he's really not interested. Um, I, mean, I see it as a no win situation. So what if he does swing the bat and starts hitting homers? Well, he's not Naota hitting homers. He's just like his older brother. And that's it. He's got to find his own thing. Did they say how old he is? He's about 12. Okay. Um, and so at the end of the game, I guess they see uh, Conti, the robot is there cleaning up the balls, but they notice his amazing accuracy. So he's just kind of throwing them from across the field and uh, landing them um, in the, the bucket where they're collecting them. And so they recruit him to be... Uh, the new star player. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, Nauta, it shows him up to bat. And when he's up to bat, Haruko is also pitching. And the pitch that injures him is a sinker, which is what they describe later as the um, uh, uh, the style of movement from the satellite bomb. Uh, and a, a sinker is a, a spinning ball that has like, a lot of vertical and lateral movement. And supposedly they're very hard to hit, uh, especially for right-handed batters. All I heard was sports ball, sports ball, sports ball. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Conti's going to be their ringer. And so Nauta's free to finally go home. But at home, things are <laughs> no better, right? He comes in to find his father digging his chin into Haruko's body. Uh, He's very perplexed. Haruko says it's electric electric massage. massage. And we note from that initial shot even, like we see that there's an electrical plug going from the outlet into Kamon's back. So he's hooked up to the electrical grid for no reason, but it's a, 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 I guess, a hint as to what's going on, that this is not right. There's a lot of things not right in this situation. <laughs> I will tell you, when a, uh, a single parent starts dating again for the first time, there's a lot of boundary issues. <laughs> oh, yeah. And yeah. dating, maybe in name only, but the housekeeper, right? It's, it's like dating your kid's babysitter. That's a no-no. <laughs> During this scene, too, I don't know if you guys noticed this, there's this kind of, like, clicking sound that's kind of, it's like a set pattern of clicks that, like, repeats. That's Conti. He's cooking. It's the cutting board. Uh, okay. He's trying to figure that out. And, yeah, I think that that kind of adds to the, uh, the tension of that scene, too. Mm-hmm. It's a very kind of, like, jarring sound. 
And it's like when someone's tapping on the table, like during a meeting or something. Yes. And the bizarreness of, you know, Conti's supposed to be a robot, but we've shown that he has, you know, emotions. Uh, he he reacts to things like he's embarrassed about the incomplete back of his head. But to have this other, this observer just like slowly watching you dig your face into someone else's body. I don't know. The surrealness really gets there. Like, I think this episode is all about, uh, uh, or is completely influenced by Satoshi Khan's work. Uh, I get all these flashbacks to uh, Perfect Blue, and it makes me really excited to check out the series uh, Paranoia Agent. Yeah, it's a critically acclaimed series. And I, that I haven't seen. <laughs> <laughs> Naoto resigns himself back to his room. And right before he closes the door, we get this weird totem pole, like comedy effect. And that's like a trope. Uh, it's so easy to miss things as they go by so quickly. But uh, as they're standing there in the totem pole, Haruko is still eating the eggs off of Kamon's head. <laughs> Just an awesome little detail. I think the theme of this episode is things that Brian misses. <laughs> I, I also didn't get that the connection between the Kamon robot being plugged in and the electric bill, like the meter going crazy. When I watched this as a kid, I, th I totally missed that. Like even after watching the entire episode, I thought Conti was the electricity problem, but he's never plugged in. And Haruko even like sort of admits her guilt by saying that she was doing something to help with the electric bill. Yeah, yeah, that's why she's playing baseball for the uh, the neighboring team. <gasps> oh my god! Make some side money. But everything she does, especially in this episode, is to excite or cause friction with Nauta. Like Kamon is fully willing to be intimate or something with Haruko, but he is not willing to do that in front of his child, and so. Haruko replaces him with a robot. Like, that's why the robot's there, because Kamon was unwilling to do these things. And temporarily killed him? <laughs> is, that, is that what was going on? Because, you know, there was simply a corpse. <laughs> and then he comes back and he's like, I guess I died for a while. <laughs> no, it worked that way. But <laughs> He'll get over it. <laughs> a little spot of death. You know, yeah. Never and it was disgusting yeah. too. <laughs> this, he wasn't yeah. just dead. <laughs> he was wrecked. So, so pres presumably while this is all going on, he's just like lying in the closet somewhere. <laughs> rotting. <laughs> with the roaches. Hanging out with the cockroaches, you know? The warrior <sighs> tribe. So Nauta gets fed up. He takes a walk outside and decides to take out his frustrations on a soft drink machine. As one does. Does he hit it with the bat or he's about to hit it with the bat? When Amarau, how do you pronounce that? Yeah, you got it. Could be, yeah, Amarau. Okay, so Commander Amarau, which I found to be the most fascinating part of this episode. So maybe I've just got Gundam on the brain, but his name to me when I say it is suspiciously similar to the main character of Gundam, uh, Amuro Ray, and his uh, glasses he initially shows up with are suspiciously similar to the uh, the headset that Char wears in the same series. So I think all of that is not to have an actual link to Gundam, but to code him as an archaic uh, protagonist. Like he's the protagonist from the series that happens before FLCL, which doesn't exist, right? Mm -hmm. 
Uh, but it, it hints to us that he has some sort of connection to and possibly obsession with Haruko. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Robert just heard sports ball, sports ball, sports ball. That's <laughs> <laughs> about right. Um, and then he he rides a Fuji Rabbit, which is a motor scooter that uh, was produced six months before the initial run of the Vespa. Again, coding him as like previous to the story. And so I assume when you saw this as a kid, you jumped on that detail right away. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was all about it. I know that was officially produced in 1946. <laughs> So it's interesting what we focus on when we see something. Uh, the, the Vespa meant nothing to me, but the curry pastries. Now that jumped out at me. It's the leftover spicy curry that the family wouldn't eat, right? Oh, from the, the previous episode. They're kind of they're trying to get rid of it. So. <laughs> it's like in real life, you know, Japanese pastry shops, they sell pastries with curry in them, curry pan, which will show up a couple more times in this episode. Yeah, and this is the first episode where we get uh, a mention, I think, of the NO channel, which is the the portal that appears in Nauta's head that things come out of. Uh, In the last episode, it was briefly transferred over to uh, Nina Mori. And it seems that, like, it's not absentmindedness or cruelness. Haruko has been trying to dose Nauta with spicy foods. Because spicy foods excite the NO channel, whereas sweet foods actually suppress the NO channel. Uh, and that's why, what's his name? Uh, Amarau, he's totally against spicy foods. Where, where, where are you getting this from? Off the Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just curious. Yeah, I, I feel like that sounds consistent. Isn't, isn't that like a folk thing? Like spicy foods are supposed to be an aphrodisiac and hmm. sweets like... Well, I know spicy foods enliven the humors, so... For all you charlatans know, this poor man is both phlegmatic and bilious. Uh, I think you're on the right track. <laughs> I just read something about the graham cracker and masturbation. I don't know. It's, maybe it's not true. <laughs> Uh, so he shows up apropos of nothing and gives Nauta a bunch of advice, kind of cryptic. Like, I don't know if he mentions Haruko's name in the scene, but he keeps telling him like, well, you know, you don't really know what she's after. And, you know, you have to keep her from your friends, like very bizarre, omniscient narration, like exposition just. And he even says to him on their initial meeting, don't hit the soda machine with a bat, use a baguette. Don't hit it with a baseball bat, try a baguette, you know, loaf of French bread. I wanted that to mean something, but I couldn't make anything out of it. Yeah, I mean, there, there is a callback to it later, right? When he hits his dad with the bat, or he's accusing him of hitting the, the dad with the bat, and he's like, why didn't you just use a baguette? And then I think later on, when he's talking to him about the dad being a robot, he's like, you know, it's kind of like a vending machine. (laughs) I think it was this like kind of multi-part weird joke. No, you're absolutely right. And the last episode, all of its references were specifically French. So maybe it's just a slight callback there too. But I didn't put that together. Thanks, man. So I guess after the visit with Amaro, then we go to a scene of uh, Nauta hanging out by the bridge um, with Mamimi. Or wait, I'm, I'm confused. I was thinking this was the one right before the baseball game. Uh, he goes to visit Mamimi to kind of blow off steam to hang out with her. 
and she just describes that he's in a really bad mood and then says, hey, I want to leave my mark, which is another, you know. Like a hickey, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which will show up later. The Kmon robot is like, I didn't want you to leave a mark, Haruko. It's a pretty short scene. He comes back and Haruko's outside seemingly waiting for him to return and batting asks him very sunset. pointed questions like, oh, batting practice after sunset? Is that no what you're doing, uh, Nata? I and I can teach you how to bat. Like, do you want me dad. to show you how? And she kind of forces him almost to take a, a, a lesson Your in batting. And, and this is after... You know, this weird shot of her holding his uh, decapitated father's head. And so like a shot of someone behind him, which I couldn't figure out if that was her or it almost looked more like Mimimi. I thought Um, it was Naota, like another weird mirror image of him. hmm. You know, it's kind of like, I guess we talked about this a lot in the Evangelion season, but, um, you know, it seems like a little bit kind of like Oedipal stuff going on here for sure. Hmm. I did gather that pretty much every relationship that characters have to one another is completely inappropriate. I want to leave my mark again. Oh, <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> like the, uh, his brother's possibly ex-girlfriend in him, mm-hmm. like just their interactions where she's always physically draped over him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right down to the cats. Even the cats have inappropriate relationships <laughs> yes. in this show. <laughs> There's a lot of, lot of cat testicle in this episode. <laughs> So I just went back and I was looking at that that kind of face that comes up behind him. Um, and it is a brown eye versus Nauta's blue eyes. So I kind of wonder if that's like him thinking about like, oh, what if Mamimi finds out about this? Oh, and, and, and this is kind of one of those, uh, like the hospital jumping up and spinning. This is them visually illustrating... Um, something (laughs) yeah this is like again like i think it's satoshi khan like the those kind of sequences those uh rapid fire almost subliminal but psychologically charged imagery so uh, haruko does give him batting advice it seems sound Uh, a lot of physical advice sports advice fighting advice is like that like don't uh, try to punch your opponent. Try to punch past your opponent. Uh, don't try to hit the ball. Try to hit it out into orbit. And then we get uh, to meet the shadowy government agency that I guess is lurking uh, around that Amaro is the commander of. So he's now a bit like Gendo because he's in charge of this government operation that is keeping tabs on Haruko and keeping tabs on things from space. We meet Lieutenant Kitsurabami. Those eyebrows. Who has a much darker shade of skin than uh, most of the characters. Uh, Specifically, her skin is the shade Kitsurabami. So her her name is kind of like Lieutenant Brown. But it's a very specific and traditional Japanese shade of brown. She seems to be a lot, very competent and a lot more stable than the other adults we meet in the show. To my eyes anyway, this like whole thing is kind of like an Ava parody or something like that. Like they're Mm -hmm. saying a lot of the same words like synchronization and whatever. And then angel-like thing pops up on this big set of screens and kind of like the bass and stuff like that. Oh, definitely. It's no coincidence that this is the first 
time we get to hear from a character about the NO channel in Nauta's head, we hear it from uh, Commander Amaro a, a bit later, but he, the way he pronounces it, at least in the English dub, he doesn't say NO, he calls it the Ano channel. So it sounds just like the director of uh, Evangelion. Okay, so they're tracking the satellite. Uh, uh, it's a satellite bomb? Very disturbing. And Amaro specifically says that it's not public knowledge that they have like an orbital satellite weapon, which I'm so glad you mentioned that you've seen Akira, Robert, because <laughs> uh, that's a main point in Akira as well, that they have an orbital laser called Soul, and the first time they fire it, it's news to the public that that thing exists. <laughs> Yeah, I also love, like, so during this scene, like, while she's talking, you hear this kind of, like, sniffing sound. And then in a subsequent shot, we uh, see Amaro sniffing at this uh, curry pond that he's, like, dissected out on the table. And <laughs> she's so concerned with this, like, you know, satellite bomb coming down. He's, he's much more interested in... <laughs> What, what's going on with this curry pan and uh, you know, at least determines that it doesn't seem to be poison. Yeah. And then eventually like they conclude the scene with him asking her, like, would you dispose of this? <laughs> like one, why did you get it in the first place? Two, why are you dissecting it? Three, can't you just throw it out? Is this a power play? <laughs> and that's the, the second time we get this episode's repeated line, which is, Eyebrows. <laughs> I think I think my general take on him is, you know, so this is a show about kind of like masculinity and what it is to be a man, right? And I think this guy is maybe like a false view of masculinity or something like that, right? Like it's this guy who's pretending to be this manly man with his like big thick eyebrows and you know, he's just like, oh, telling the woman to throw this thing away for him. Yeah, I wondered about that. And his eyebrows actually are seaweed. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Two pieces of nori, like traditional dried seaweed. Uh, so is that like like almost like having a comb over or something? Like <laughs> trying to really compensate? I, I think it is. Yeah, like, like he has no eyebrows, but oh, maybe his hair is a wig. Because he has this bright red hair. And under the nori, he has no eyebrows. So maybe he has alopecia. <laughs> Hmm. Okay, so two things. I want to go back to what you were saying about the Gundam connection, because then I kind of wonder if he's like, you know, if it's kind of something about, um, you know, these manly men that we've had in these like Gundam animes, that's like been this model of masculinity that anime's given us, but that's like a fake masculinity or something like that. But but then in terms of like the lore of the show, you know, he says like, uh, you know, tell her like a hometown fan wants her to do whatever. And he's part of this like space police. So I wonder if he's actually uh, an alien, right? And maybe that's part of why he doesn't have eyebrows and stuff oh, like that. Oh, that's very cool. Uh, and I think you're absolutely right as an outdated uh, uh, model of masculinity and a statement on the misunderstanding of those characters. Like Amuro and Char, they both become monsters because of like vengeance and uh, a, a, an overclocked drive to protect people. Well, I've got some anime eyebrow trivia. <laughs> oh my gosh, lay it on us. 
So I don't know if this is still the case, but yes, it used to be that big eyebrows was a masculine thing. So there was this anime called Honk to No Ken. We know it as Fist of the North Star. And this was kind of one of those first anime where all the men are really manly men. They'll punch someone in their face and the whole head will explode. And, you know, it, it set this trend for like that kind of shonen stuff. But one of the hallmarks of that show was the animators drew these huge, gigantic eyebrows on these guys. And it was just part of like, you know, how red blooded, super macho these guys were. <laughs> uh, and personal note, when I did go visit some family in Japan at the time when the show was airing, I did get a lot of compliments <laughs> on my eyebrows. <laughs> but that was the 80s. <laughs> Real life is too bizarre. It's a, it's a, sort of a, an aside, um, when one of the few times I've been to Japan, I repeatedly got complimented on my chopstick skills but only after I dropped something. I don't, I don't know if they were, people were trying to make me feel better or if they're like, I've been watching you and it took you this long to fuck up. So that's pretty good for a Westerner. You know? just, a, just a microaggression, you know? Failed <laughs> as a... subtle encouragement. Uh, so, so in the middle of that scene at the base, um, so it cuts from that to Nauta um, waking up in the middle of the night. He realizes that Harko's bed is empty. You know, then he walks Where'd out to the hallway, now? sees his father's room is ajar, kind of creeps towards it, starts looking through the crack, and then Harko sees him and he sees her. They make eye contact, right? And then. Um, he kind of retreats back. I really like that image. There's a, he's kind of this red line splitting him. Uh, you know, he's full of shame. And then uh, uh, his head activates, which we've seen kind of in the past in these kind of moments of like either being turned on or very emotional. This started making me wonder if it's maybe not like it's maybe the feeling of shame. Like I think you pointed out, Alex, that like mm -hmm. often in these kind of like sexualized moments, it's this kind of like this confusion between shame and sexuality or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, it is really wonderful. The the allegory of the the overflow. It's almost like it's not about any specific confusion, just confusion itself, like confusing these uh, uh, one or two or more emotions together, or even conflating the two. This is a, a hallmark of transitioning from childhood to adolescence, right? So like provocative things happen, but you don't have the emotional vocabulary to distinguish one thing from the next. It all goes into this one basket of like, whoa, this is intense. That's part of why kids that age use very generic terminology for things, but being provoked like with something sexual, like it could be a lot of different things, an attraction to an older girl or seeing your father right. reaching boundaries yeah. in the house. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. there's a it's... erotically eating fried eggs with a <laughs> <laughs> so erotic. <laughs> Unfortunately, too many's too many people's experience with that period of, transitioning from childhood to adolescence. So, okay, I might be crazy, but mm. I think you touched on a thematic statement for the show, uh, maybe the thesis statement for the show. Like, 
So as we've been going through these episodes, it becomes more and more apparent that if you're an insider to anime, you will understand it, right? Because there's so much shorthand from previous anime, from tropes, from Japanese culture, that if you don't have the context, it will be confusing, frightening, in the same way that growing into adolescence and becoming sexually aware is the same thing. If you have no context, and so everything is confusing or terrifying. That's yeah. amazing. So like the choice to make the show so contextually, uh, to rely so much on context is a direct statement on the human experience of sexuality. So I'll, I'll share an insight that I think alludes a lot of people on like anime forums, right? So one of the differences between like Japanese and American pop culture, right? So there's a criticism about characters in Japanese anime of people getting freaked out by these sexual uh, encounters with other characters. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of derogatory names for that, but I don't care. So the idea is like in Western culture, like sexual tension is usually characterized by like fear of rejection. Like that's a lot of these boy meets girls type movies and sitcoms or whatever. But in another culture, the emphasis might be on fear of acceptance. It's like there's something happening and maybe you want it to happen, but then there's this anxiety of like, what if it does? Like, what does that mean about my reputation, my identity, like more of a communal based culture rather than individual based culture? Mm. A lot going on. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot going on sexually in any culture, but that's kind of what we're seeing when we watch a Japanese anime and you see sexual tension playing out in a different way than you'd expect. Hmm. That makes sense for you know, a culture that's probably a little more sexually reserved than like a Western culture. Yeah, not meant as a criticism, but there is a more shame versus honor aspect to the culture in general over in Japan. So my, uh, my brother has lived in Japan for uh, over 10 years or something. And he did have a, a takeaway from dating while in Japan. It's like one thing you have to keep in mind that as a society, it really hasn't been that long since arranged marriages were a thing. And, you know, everyone is still figuring out like what the hell this dating thing is in their yeah. society. It's like, it's really a work in progress. Yeah, that was my grandparents. They had an arranged marriage. And at, out of curiosity and in the, in the vein of parallelism, is this an older brother? Yes. <gasps> Did he go there to play baseball? Is it... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if only uh, he went there to teach English as you do yeah as, as you do he, he um he went for one year and he said he was coming back in a year for like eight years <laughs> <laughs> wow whoa I think he, he finally stopped it when he said that and I was like no you're not <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my sister also uh, taught English in Japan and stayed for more than the required year. <laughs> so all four of us have older brothers. Correct. Okay. So no one has to answer this, but I'll just ask the question out loud. Like, do you kind of identify with Naoto a little bit in feeling some of those pressures of being compared to the older brother or feeling like you have to perform to a certain level? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and, and I think, and in, in kind of maybe with the baseball thing, I, I remember specifically seeking out things that like my brother hadn't tried doing. 
like kind of avoiding things that he had done, maybe even when I was genuinely interested in them, <laughs> mm-hmm. just kind of to to escape that and try to carve out um, kind of a more distinct identity. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, my brother was a wonderfully talented magic player uh, our entire lives. So when I became really competent at gaming, I found a different game, like which actually he also introduced me to. But I was like, I could be better at this game than I was at magic. <laughs> and maybe that will differentiate us. So I know that um, as adults, a three year difference is not very significant. But like if you're talking about being a 12 year old in sixth grade, like that time period, like three years is pretty significant developmentally. Mm -hmm. And um, what really stands out to me in this whole series is this um, strange dynamic. And maybe I'm like projecting myself into Naota, but you've got an older brother, three years older, and you're in the same social environment. And because he's going through his natural uh, phases through adolescence, the younger brother, just by virtue of being exposed to it, is, is experiencing that as well. But probably too soon. You know what I mean? Like I was listening to punk rock in sixth grade. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't fit in with my peers in elementary school, like where I came from elementary school was to six. Okay. And then seventh grade started smoking and drinking, which is really early for a seventh grader, but maybe not surprising for someone in high school. That's a junior or whatever. Is Mike three years older than you? Yeah. So he was a senior when you were a freshman? Yes. Ah, that's the same age gap as me and my brother. <laughs> yeah. I will say, though, when he went into his phase of listening to The Cure and The Smiths, I got a lot of mileage out of that <laughs> because the girls in my grade were really excited about that. <laughs> Not so much when he was listening to like Slayer and Metallica. <laughs> that had the opposite effect. But it's so like, this is Naoto's experience, right? Like he's older and had a relationship with this other girl. So he's exposed to that. He's in proximity of it. And like after the brother leaves, there's this weird thing where he like is starting this relationship with this girl. It just speaks to me of like being thrown into adolescence too early and too quickly. And like, it can't help but to like traumatize you in some certain way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and maybe too, I mean, we see this kind of like absent mother that we never really find out what the deal with that is. And then this kind of very immature seeming father and weird grandfather, which, uh, you know, I think that's a general situation that kind of forces children to kind of mature faster or, or act like adults before they're adults when there aren't kind of other adults around to do that stuff. Hmm. Yeah. After Nauta gets the, you know, his head gets activated, this red light starts flashing, um, which they can see from wherever that is that they are. Um, Mm -hmm. We learn that the satellite is heading directly towards him. Yeah, now targeting his head, I guess. Yeah, he becomes like a beacon. So this is the second uh, Mamimi scene for the episode. And... Oh, right, right, right. So they're hanging out, and then Haruko shows up and tells them both, hey, do you want to come to the baseball game I'm about to play? And Nauta is not interested at all, but she mentions that it's Conti's first game, and Mamimi, who loves 
talk to you. Ditches now to to go watch this baseball game, which is real heartbreaker. Like she was the one person in the episode, at least, that was on Nauta's side. That wasn't a creepy weirdo who showed up from nowhere. Uh, and she ditches him to go watch sports ball. Just heartbreaking. Yeah, a lot going on in this scene that happens very quickly. So you know, Haruko busts on them, like teases them, like, "Hey, are you making out again?" And mm. and it's interesting because Naoto is not protesting like he was before. Oh. When Conti, the robot, is mentioned, another quick subtle joke. It's a panty dropping <laughs> moment for Mamimi. Yeah, literally the panties flew. <laughs> yeah. Left on the ground. So I was trying not to read into that too much. <laughs> Because, you know, it's very provocative the way she's draped over him. You know, when she springs into action, his finger is hooked on the waistband of her <laughs> panties, which is, you know, a very, very intimate, uh, like, foreplay type thing. And maybe this is just part of the surreal expressionist style of the show, because also in this very scene, when that happens, she knees Naoto in the back and his stomach comes out of his <laughs> mouth and has to swallow it back in. So who knows what's really going on? <laughs> Except amazing animation. I didn't even catch that. That's... Oh yeah, that happens. Uh, so he's resigned to go back to his uh, his house. That's where he has the confrontation with Kamon Robot, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Finds him in a dark corner of the house in like a doorway. And almost like he's programmed to do this, right? Haha. <laughs> As Nauta notices him, he drops like part of his robe to reveal a hickey and go like, oh, come on, Haruko. I told her not to leave a mark. I didn't want you to see it. Like, I'm going to kill you, old man. And it works, right? Like Haruko, assuming this is Haruko's plan, because assuming she's the one who replaced him with a robot, even though Nauta is trying to remain calm and like stay back, he stays relatively still. The robot just like pushes the issue. It gets up and walks towards him in this nightmare fashion. And we get shots of like Haruko as a mouse and, and the cat batting her around. And we get the big old cat balls in the scene. And then he smashes uh, a clock that they have the the Sekiro clock which didn't we Seiko Seiko clock thank you do we establish that Seiko the kanji for it can also be pronounced Haruko oh yeah I was oh wondering notes. if it was maybe the other way around that another reading for Haruko is Seiko um well, anyways, if that's true, it's amazing <laughs> because his frustration and his feelings for Haruko are being offshooted. He's having to deal with them through this proxy, through this robot. So he ends up smashing the clock and then the robot's on the ground. Did he hit the robot? Did he not hit the robot? What is happening? Like, is it completely allegory? And then he's all of a sudden being questioned by Commander Amarau again. So just a quick search. I, I knew that Seiko had some significance, but it can mean child, truth, and accomplishment. Wow. Hey, so just, uh, we've mentioned hickeys a couple times. Do, do the younger generations, like millennials and Zoomers, do they know what that is? Yeah, millennials anyway. Okay. Yeah. Why would we not know what a hickey is? They still exist. It still happens. <laughs> the physics are still there. <laughs> I don't know what these younger kids are up to these days. Yeah. Oh, are you asking, like, do people still do them on purpose? Yeah. 
Yes, absolutely. Uh, a friend of mine is dating a girl right now, and I see hickeys on his neck every other day. I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's it's an important part of maintaining monogamy. You know, in your territory. <laughs> <laughs> so. Amaral questions him and explains for the first time that... Anno utilizes the right brain and left brain's distinct thought processes to open up an interdimensional channel capable of pulling things through. Sometimes from light years away, in an instant. A little bit of psych trivia for you. Oh, yeah? So uh, this is called bilateral stimulation, but when you're engaged in like therapy or a wellness process, like if you can do something to stimulate both hemispheres at the same time, something that might only be a momentary epiphany in like therapy or a wellness service is more likely to form the neural pathways necessary to actually result in behavioral change instead of just the momentary epiphany. Whoa, that's amazing. That's a real world manifestation of the storytelling elements we're trying to Get across here. It's all about that curry pond, man. Yeah, it's about the spiciness. It's about friction and uh, uh, excitement. All I have to contribute today is just dumb trivia. So, <laughs> no, it's... Japanese curry is brown. And when it's red, like it is in today's episode, that means it's really freaking spicy. Oh. Like, unedible. <laughs> D- don't eat it. Stay away from it. Um, going back to the interrogation scene with Amarau, um, it reminds me a little bit of those train scenes from Evangelion where you have, like, kind of one character probing another character. Um, and, you know, it's like asking him, you know, is this jealousy? Like, why did you do it? Trying to kind of get at his motivations. And... Um, at the climax of that, there's this thing where he kind of like hits the table and he looks down and he's spilled a plate of curry. There wasn't a plate of curry there, right? It's like mm. like this is kind of going back to the perfect blue or Satoshi Khan kind of like imagery, him losing his grip with reality. Mm. And he hallucinates or this is maybe like a callback to that curry scene from episode one. The, the call back to the mouth to mouth and her saying that she had met him first. So she had like chosen him. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So again, like getting back to what we were talking about earlier about being in a provocative situation and not having like the emotional vocabulary to process what's going on. This taps into now to feeling conflicted, right? About this older woman and his relationship with her and her dad has a relationship with her. But of course it's not really uh, his father, right? So she can be a little more cavalier about how she wants to manipulate him with this like provocative behavior, but it works, right? Like he loses his temper, he freaks out and then it goes surreal. Like we don't see him smashing their TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was a little thrown by that because I, yeah. since it wasn't visually shown, I didn't know if it was in a previous episode. <laughs> I think we see him smashing the TV. Okay. But then at the oh, same time, okay. we see him hit the TV or the TV shatter. Then the dad also like falls backwards. So it's kind of like this yeah. like oh, okay. ambiguous, nonsensical thing. But this is also the scene where Haruko comes out of his father's oh, mouth. No. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I think it's, it's like following disassociation. That. Yeah. Right? yeah. I think it's an understatement to say a lot was going on in that scene. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of sensory overload. (laughs) And and then following this, we have like another scene of really like sensory overload. And and we kind of get this like montage thing. It's done a couple of times in this series. So we have Nauta discovering 
you know, what at first appears to be the corpse of his dead father in this closet with cockroaches crawling over it. He like grabs him or it's like almost like the corpse is following him and he runs to the bathroom. You know, there are these cockroaches spilling off of it, getting onto his face. The cat starts chasing the cockroaches. And, you know, eventually we realize he's resuscitating his father, that his father is like dried out and desiccated. But while this whole thing is going on, then this is intercut with close-ups of the Mimi saying this weird stuff about a great king of terror and and it's this thing about Nostradamus that I had to look up which was this prediction in the seventh month of 1999 Nostradamus predicted a great great king of terror terror would descend descend on the the world world. from the sky shall come a great king of terror revised the great king of Anglomois before and after Mars shall reign as chance will have it so I think that connects back to, you know, like the Mars stuff with the, the baseball team. And, and, you know, we have this image of this great thing falling from the sky. And uh, I was reading about this. Uh, evidently, there was a solar eclipse that would have been visible from Europe then. So he, he was probably hmm. fucking with people because he knew about this eclipse. <laughs> that but, Nostradamus. Uh, Nostradamus. That's amazing. And this is 2001, right? So we're not very far off. I mean, a couple of years, but we're not very far off from that prediction. Yeah, and maybe something that would have been in the air when they were writing this or producing this. So I thought she was like singing Conti's praises, but I guess they're talking about the satellite. Yeah, but I think it establishes a pattern with Mamimi that she is open to these religious experiences. You know, she's just been reading Nostradamus and then this thing comes down and she's like, oh, that's what it is. He, he was right. He was a little off because the timing's not quite right. But Nostradamus is right. This is the king of fear, the lord of fear. So Nauta revives his father who explains the whole thing. He's like, you know, Aruko asked me to help and I said, yeah, absolutely, because I'm all about it. But she didn't really want my help. She just wanted my permission to like do whatever she needed to do, I guess, to replace me with this robot. And I feel like that honesty kind of emboldens Nauta and he decides it's time to go confront her. And in going to confront her, that's when emotional line of the show and the action line of the show, that's where they cross. And we get the technicolor amazing sky of this catastrophic event coming to uh, intersect with Nauta's life. And we also learned the lesson that if you ever find a dead body, just bathe it. Yeah. And it'll be fine. Just just a little dried out. Reconstitute that thing. He's just a little dry. He's still good. He's still good. Uh, And then... So I was just going to comment, like, uh, the scene gets interrupted. This is where uh, Haruko crashes through the wall on her scooter. Oh, like, okay, yeah, please. Uh, I paused it a lot during that scene because the chaos happened so freaking quickly. It's like, came on and uh, Naota are drawn in this like really scribbly way that's like Ren and Stimpy or something. Really cheap animation. But as Haruko's crashing through the wall, she's on her scooter and it's this amazingly rendered, I assume again, taken from a 3D model image of like she's twisting and the shadows are changing. Uh, and it's beautiful. It must have taken a lot of work, but you just don't even see it as the show's going because it happens so fast. I'm like, 
Why did they do that? Mm. Just another one of these weird things about this show, where they're spending their money and where they're not. <laughs> Is that where Nata also asks her, like, who are you really? And she says, I'm an illusion, I'm an illusion. a yeah. manifestation of your childhood. Okay, we're, we're past that. Can we, can we cut the shit here, lady? But she takes him to, oh yeah, you're right, I had it backwards. She takes him to confront the the bomb the satellite the giant baseball falling from the sky love that imagery because one it's the satellite obviously it loses a bunch of scaffolding and then it morphs into like a paw and then a like grasping hand and then finally becomes this ball form i didn't see a paw i saw like a baseball mitt if we're listening to Mamimi and talking about this celestial thing from the sky, I was like, God, what if this is like the specter of his older brother? Yeah. Like confronting this performance thing. Like, are you going to swing the bat? Yeah. You're amazing. <laughs> it is. It's the specter of his brother. And where is his brother? America. And what is the specter of America on Japanese culture? It's the bomb, right? Yeah. Oh, right. Weapons of mass destruction from the sky. And who's going to save us? The children. Yes, oh, absolutely. <laughs> They're going to find a synthesis solution. If only they can figure out how to swing that bat. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'll take it a step further. There's no audience. Like there's no crowd cheering. Like when Naoto performs and saves the town, like he just does so outside of the watchful eye of the rest of the community. You're right. Like, unlike Haruko's performance, uh, there is no audience. Well, there's a slight audience, but they're very far away and they're very personal. Only Mamimi and Conti are there to witness it. Yet, yet the other women that um, did witness it seem to gush blood out of their... <laughs> so I assume that means they were very aroused. Surprising amount of blood in that <laughs> So much blood. Yeah, but, but yeah, so they, they all get nosebleeds and Amaro is, uh, you know, he's seemingly disturbed by this and it's like, he's just a child. <laughs> <laughs> Haruko puts a shower cap kind of thing. Uh, so this little umbrella hat or little flying saucer hat. Ooh. She puts it on his head, almost like a condom, and then proceeds to dig a... First, it's a it's a red little wormy, squirming energy object. And when she finally gets it out after a lot of pulling and some really explicit dialogue, or I guess implicit dialogue, she pulls out this flying V, this very iconic guitar. And of course it's colored white because why wouldn't it be? And then... Haruko like just gives him the same advice as before like here this is what you do you know you line up your shot and you try to hit it out of the park uh, and it's specifically a sinker which are hard for right-handed batters to deal with but Nauta has been taught by Mamimi how to be a left-handed batter uh, so he's in a perfect position to do this uh, but she gives him this advice and then she fucking dips do you think she's speaking to us the audience or she's speaking to the technicians at the nerve center. I took it as like us, the audience, personally. Okay. And she says like, well, for anybody out there, like, I hope this works out, but if it doesn't, have a nice day. <laughs> and then he, you know, uh, you gotta swing the bat sometime. And he, he's successful, right? He hit, he swings the, the guitar bat. Uh, he connects with the, the baseball bomb. 
and he almost does it himself. Like, he gets it to stop. He, he, I guess he neutralizes its velocity. But it's a bomb, so if it stays right there, they're still screwed. And in a moment of reversal and, like, transcendent synthesis, Haruko comes back in, seemingly from the sky, hits it again with him, and the two of them, their force together, propels it back out into space. Uh, I think the line is like, two galaxies unknown, which sounds amazing. Yeah. Before he does this, you know, we see him closing his eyes and calling out to his older brother. And I think, you know, at least I at first was like, oh no, like, fuck. He's like, like, wussing out again. And and that's, I think, before Haruko gives her speech. So maybe we're kind of supposed to be thinking that, but he does end up making this swing. Or when he does that, it activates the the thing that we've seen appear on Conti, right? He gets that mm-hmm. symbol on his forehead. And remind me, what is the symbol? It's a combination of two kanji? You can interpret it as, yeah, like big and person, which then means adult. Mm. You know, you have to squint your eyes a little bit to see that. So he gets this symbol, he ascends, and he... He hits it out of the park with uh, Haruko's help. And then the sky miraculously changes from red to blue. Wonderful symbolism there, like taking, you know, Nauta taking ownership of the moment, saving the day, so it reverts back to his color. Oh, and then there's a scene of Haruko driving him back, and he's like asleep between her legs on the scooter. I only have one last thought. Uh, about this episode. Yeah. My first impression of the series, I mean, the the ending, uh, I'm seeing Naoto, he's swinging the bat, doing what he was expected to do. He says his brother's name. It felt like like he was calling out uh, for support. But uh, on this pass through, I kind of want to challenge that perception. I want to look at how he's different from his brother. Um, He's not using a baseball bat. He's using a guitar. He's being his own person. Uh, he doesn't knock it out of the park on his own. He teams up with somebody in real Japanese style of, you know, us instead of me. And then thinking about the specter of his brother, um, maybe he's not calling out, like drawing strength from the idea of his brother. Maybe he's looking at this baseball coming at him, like mm. the specter of my brother that I'm struggling against. Now, what would you think how it's tied in with the fact the guitar is white and then turns the sky from red to blue? (laughs) (laughs) All the other uh, American imagery going on with the bottom. And and we do have what, you know, it, it almost feels like it's a requirement in every action anime you know, these kind of explosion images of trees getting knocked over and like oh, yeah, that rocks was... rising up from the ground, which, you know, I, I think kind of taken from um, videos of uh, atom bomb test explosions and stuff like that. Very specific imagery, right? Yeah, and th- this thought's a little abstract, so I don't know if it's going to stick, but um, when his brother performs, when he's playing baseball, it's to a cheering crowd and a cheering team you know, when he knocks it out of the park, it's just a game and it's just this trivial thing. Whereas when Naota did it, you know, it's just his immediate circle of friends and his victory really matters. 
the town was still damaged, but it's, yeah. it's just more significant. So, like, what his brother does is more spectacle, mm-hmm. whereas what he's doing has more actual impact. It's not the yeah. image of what's happening. It's the thing. Yeah. So then this takes us back to the beginning, the first scene of the this episode. He's only getting attention based on who he's related to, and his sense of significance is only about what his brother can do. And now he's done something that is actually significant. And it did, he did it because of who he is. Okay, this series is awesome. I'm so glad we're covering it. <laughs> I'm really happy about it. That's all I've got. Does anybody have any other final thoughts? Let's hear it for Little Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> we got to band together. And, be, and, and we all have to become musicians. <laughs> um, are you, do you say you're a bass player, Robert, or you play uh, a bunch of different stuff? I play a bunch of different stuff, but I, I would say I, I identify as a bass player. That's like my <laughs> instrument. Uh, uh, in, in, I don't want to out him, but in a previous life, Ben was also a bass player. I, and I oh, also, wow. I, I identify as a bass player. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Robert, it has been a real joy having you on. Thank great. you for carving out some time. Are, are, are you active online? If people wanted to check out some of your work, is there any places that they could find it? We didn't touch on this before, but I do um, I do some comedy things outside of Comedy Central. One, I do a lot of work with a friend's project called the Found Footage Festival. I also have my own project called Trash Can Cinema, where I take really terrible movies and cut them down into trailers, highlighting all the entertainingly bad parts. Um, I, that's been a little dormant recently since you know the last year or so, but it mm-hmm. hasn't gone away completely. But I have a Facebook page, a YouTube channel, and uh, an Instagram for Trash Can Cinema. So you suffer so that other people can enjoy the movie. Yeah, yeah that, is, that is actually kind of part of my intro, is that is my way of giving back to society. <laughs> Ooh, I love it. And all, all these direct-to-video movies are basically exactly 90 minutes, so you can really... <laughs> Uh, and for anyone who enjoyed this or maybe enjoys things like this, maybe the music or maybe the animation, uh, is there anything you'd recommend? Any bands, anything else you've seen that you really like? I'm going to say House or Houseu, the movie the, that we've talked about before, the Japanese movie. Just, I mean, it's different than this, but that the the surreal elements kind of reminded me of a uh, of house because uh, it's mm-hmm. this bizarre just fractured movie where nothing really makes sense is kind of the series of events and i will say when i saw it uh afterwards my jaw hurt really a lot <laughs> and i realized it's because i spent the entire like hour and a half two hours however long it is completely slack jawed like <laughs> <laughs> I, I just dumbfounded. Uh, this last Halloween, and I think the basic premise is like twelve Japanese high school girls go to visit this like haunted house with this crazy old woman and her uh, cat living there, and then uh, horrible things ensue. It's also it's it's one of those movies that has like really gorgeous like lo-fi special effects. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like early days and weird ways of doing stuff but manages to be super trippy um, strong recommendation yeah <laughs> where could we go to check out some of your music Bandcamp for my old bands my old dc band uh measles monster bella 
we put up our whole discography. And as well was uh, my old band, Ideal Forms. It said Ideal Forms? Mm-hmm. Great band name. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm a collector of band names, and that's one of the best I've ever heard. <laughs> cool. Um, well, that's awesome. If nobody had anything else, then we can just do our sign off. Uh, and hopefully, people will come and visit us next week as well. Ten. And. Pals. Booty